Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. instructional video, his technique was flawless. It was fantastic. But it's my conviction, it's my belief as the pastor of the Bridge Church that a proper marshmallow is not one that's been lit on fire. A good, proper marshmallow is one in which you have the rotisserie style over the flame, right? And it's golden brown on the outside. That is the perfect marshmallow for a s'more. I also believe it's my duty as a husband who loves movie quotes every single time without fault. And I mean every single time my wife asks if I want a s'more, my response is, s'more what? She loves it. It's my wife's favorite thing about S'mores, as we are in this series called Campfire Stories, as we think about sitting around a campfire, hanging out, I have to just set the record straight that that is the proper way to have a s'more. I will not be told otherwise. Everyone has their different theories, which is all good because it goes right into what I want to talk about this morning. I'm going to mix it up a little bit today as I normally preach. Normally I give you a story and then we jump in and it's all good. But today I want to start with the scripture. I want to start with the Bible because this verse I'm going to share is something we're going to be coming back to over and over and over again today. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 38, and it says this, Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go on these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David them off again. I think we've all been in the situation before in which we've maybe had to walk through this. Okay, For some of us, going to a wedding is literally like nails on a chalkboard. Like you, For some of us, going to a wedding and having to dress up nice, I think you would rather get stung in the mouth 10 times by a hornet than have to do that. For some of us. Some of us are like, eh, it's not a huge deal. Uh, but for some of us, it's just not what we're called to do. Some of us love dressing up. Some of us quite honestly loathe it. Some of us love going to our daughter's dance recitals. Some trying to figure out any excuse we can to get out of it. It just depends, right? We're all in these different interests. We're all in these different things that we try to do. For me, something that you'll quickly find out about me is I love 
sports. If, if it has a ball, puck, whatever it is, if it has anything to do with sports, I'm in. Even if it's watching competitive cornhole, because that is a thing. I would rather go watch ESPN National Bean Bay Cornhole Competitions than do other things. On the flip side, if you know me, you know I am not musical in the slightest. And when I mean not musical, like, and I sing in the shower, even my own kids are petrified. It's just bad. I have zero musical ability, zero musical interest. So you might imagine my quite enthusiastic excitement I had when in college as a sophomore, I had to take a music class. It was awesome. They asked me, what's the melody? And I said, what's the melody? What's the harmony? No clue. You're supposed to be telling me this because I hate music. I hated it. So then they thought, you know what? Let's take a field trip. We're down in Minneapolis. Let's go to Orchestra Hall and do a field trip to Orchestra Hall. And oh, by the way, dress up nice. So I'm about to show you guys something. Because to physically go into something that I wasn't comfortable with, it was a whole sight. So let's put this up there. Let's just break this down for a second, okay? I'm wearing a vest that's about two sizes too large for me. The shirt, I'm convinced, is a one size too large for me. The tie makes no sense. The tie doesn't even match regardless. And the cherry on top of all of this, look at my shoes. I should be going to a boat show, not an orchestra hall. What a mess. Praise the Lord for my wife because I, I look at this picture and I'm like, what in the world was I thinking? Like, how did I even remotely go out in public like this? It was, it was a whole fiasco. And so when you are physically put into something that you are not comfortable in, you feel it and you know it. And in my case, you look it, which is so fun. But the, the, the reason I bring up this story, the reason I talk about this, where this story of David putting on armor that doesn't feel comfortable to him actually comes from a story that a lot of us have probably heard before. If you haven't, I'm going to break it down for you, so don't worry about it. But if you're a sports watcher like me, you've inevitably heard this comparison before. It's like David and Goliath. It's a story that we've all maybe heard the proverbial comparison to of the underdog story, all that good stuff. But when I was growing up, I had no clue it was in the Bible. I knew it was a sports analogy before I even knew it was in the Bible. And what I loved, the more I look at the story, the more I fall in love with it. Because I want to set the scene for you. You have, you have the good guys, right? You have Israel. Israel is the good guys. They're the nation of Israel. They're God's chosen people. They're awesome. Then you have the rivals of Israel. You have the people of Philistia, also known as the Philistines. And the Philistines were mean. They were ugly. They were big. They were strong. They had military advances. They were super smart and superior to Israel in every way. If I were to compare it to our day and age, Israel is the Vikings, and the Packers are the Philistines. What's wrong with that? If you are a fan of the Packers, I'm, I'm acknowledging, yes, you have the superior team. I just, it is what it is, but we just don't like you anymore. We still just don't like you. You're just, you're just better than our, we are and we wish we were. But Philistines in this day and age were truly the superior people. They had all of it. They had the best army. They had the best people. They were superior in every way. The problem was they also loved to worship idols. What that means is they love to worship people other than the God that we worship. They love to worship the God of the sun, the God of the rain, 
the god of the harvest. They had all these different gods that they would worship. And so because of this, they were always clashing. They were always fighting. And in this particular battle in 1 Samuel 17, there's about to be a whole brawl that's about to happen. There's this big valley called the Elah Valley. On this mountaintop, you have Israel. This mountaintop, you got the Philistines. And they're ready to come down into this valley and have a battle that rivals Avengers Endgame, Lord of the Rings. Insert epic battle right here. It's about to go down. But before they do that, 1 Samuel chapter 17, there is a, a person who struts out from all the army named Goliath. And he is a literal giant. It says this in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. Goliath is a literal beast. He is a giant. He has been trained to be a warrior from the time he could pick up a sword. And he's saying, you know what? Let's go one-on-one. Instead of having all of us come down in this battle and kill each other, let's just go one-on-one. Send your best guy. I'll send myself. Whoever wins will become your, you, you become slaves to us. If we win, you submit to us. If, if, if Israel wins, we'll, we'll just go back away and you can, you can just do whatever you want. Which is a great plan, except that the deck is stacked. This guy is a beast. He's an actual giant. And so this morning, if you're familiar with the story, you understand kind of how this goes along. Before we jump to the good part, because a lot of us know what the good part is. We love to jump to the battle. I think it's important to slow down and actually take a moment and humanize this story. It's kind of like watching your favorite movie. You know how it ends. You watch it differently. Like when the hero's wife is laying over there and she's not moving. You're like, oh my gosh, she's dead. And you're like, you're, you're kind of sad for a second. But then you actually know she comes back to life. They live happily ever after and all that's good. You're not as broke up about it. Good, right? You know, you know what's happening. But when you know how the story ends, just read it different. The reality is when you actually take the story and read it and understand what Goliath and David was like, you understand that David had to have been truly petrified as he stood up to the giant, as he goes into this thing. I think we understand that if we were completely transparent, we might see David as much more of a person. Because in a lot of ways, the same battle that David had was no different than the battle some of us are walking In the same way that David was up against an immovable object, it felt like there was no way he could get through it. There was no way that he could possibly come on the other side. I think we can also understand what it's like to feel that very thing. When it feels like the deck is stacked, the odds are in their favor. The oppression is so intense, so strong that we can't possibly win. This morning, I'm here to tell us that there is purpose in your fight. There is a purpose to the fight and to the battles that you will go through in life. There is a purpose for the plan for David. There is a purpose for him to do that because as he goes into this battle, it would become a gateway to what he would do in his future. It would be a gateway to him becoming a king, a gateway for the nation of Israel to say, you know what? God is on our side. It was a gateway in the same way that the battle you walked through is a gateway to something that I believe God wants to unlock if you're willing to fight it, if you're willing to step in despite the, despite the opposition. 
The scene set, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Let's bring this thing on full. You have, Philistines, you have Israel, you have Philistines. Goliath comes out, and for 40 days, he struts out and says, who's going to fight me? And all the Israelites literally wet themselves. They are, they are terrified. The Bible says they like cower. They're ter- they, they will not even stand up remotely. They're, for 40 days, the guy struts out, who's going to fight me? And Israel just takes a collective step back like, not me. I'm not going out there. This guy's going to kill me. I I would so dead. It'd be awesome. But not possible. But this scene is set, and all of a sudden what's happening is during this whole time, there's a little boy literally named David. And David, his dad was named Jesse. And Jesse, his three oldest boys, they were they had it all. They were strong, they were muscular, they were tall, they were handsome. All the things I'm not, they had. It was so they were at the front lines. They're fighting. They're the ones who are sitting there cowering. And so Jesse says, "You know what, David, my youngest, the one who's just the shepherd boy. I need you to do me a favor. Run up to the battle line, check in with your brothers, make sure they're alive, and bring them like some food to make sure they're eating well." Cool. So David grabs his picnic basket, runs up to where the, all the the, the Two armies are fighting each other. He's, he's there. He gets there. He drops off the food and goes up and goes, what's up, guys? How's it going? And the Israelites are like, shut up. Goliath is out there, okay? Like, Goliath comes out, struts his stuff, and David, being just clueless, is going, who's this guy? Like, what's going on? So they, 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 they fill him in. And then in true little brother fashion, David goes, so, uh, what happens if you kill him? What happens if you slay the giant? Now, who has siblings? Anybody? Who is the older sibling? How many of you know as the older sibling, when you are sitting there and you are getting absolutely roasted by this giant and you're going, you're not standing up and you can't do something, and your little brother struts up and goes, what happens if I do it? What if I get to do it? Do I, do I get a special prize? That would annoy the living daylights out of you. I had a younger sister, and I, it doesn't matter what it was. If my dad said, I bet Avery would do it, I would do it. I would jump off a bridge if I needed to because I can't possibly imagine a situation in which my younger sister can do something that I can't. The joys of siblings, right? Having kids is going to be awesome. The older brothers hear this, and they are annoyed. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you even come down here? And with whom did you even leave the few sheep in the wilderness? Your job is to be a shepherd. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. His older brother is like, What are you doing? This is real life. Get out. Go back to your little sheep. This is, this is real man's work. In the context, David had every right to be there they possibly could, but his brothers were selling him short because he was just a shepherd. Shepherd's only job was to keep people alive. This wasn't a day and age where we had farms and fences and electrical, electrical fences. A shepherd had to literally follow his sheep around open desert and make sure that the sheep didn't run away. It was boring. It was, quite honestly, pretty meaningless. It was reserved for the least in the family. 
when David comes up, they're saying, go back to your meaningless works. At the same time, though, the king of Israel is going, hey, um, somebody wants to go fight him? I want to talk to this guy. So David steps into the tent, goes in, and here's, here's how this goes down. Between the front lines and going to the tent, David had decided, hey, I'm going to do this. Because in verse 32, it says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Verse 33, don't be ridiculous. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he's been a man of war since you are a boy, he is a man. Don't be ridiculous. It's a boat of confidence, right? Your older brother has just kind of kicked you to the curb. You're the only one who's got the gumption to stand up to this guy. You're all getting excited. You're all getting pumped up. And you step into the tent, and the king himself calls you a boy and says, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can possibly. Don't be ridiculous. Everyone else around him laughed in his face. You know, he was standing up for something so He was the only one who wanted to do something. But everyone said, don't be ridiculous. You're outmatched for this one, buddy. Does it sound familiar? Does it sound familiar to when you're living your life and all of a sudden someone that you love and care about is handed a medical diagnosis Stage three cancer, stage four cancer. They're like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna go after this. We're gonna fight this. No, no, I've lost. The odds are can't come back. Does it sound familiar when you step out in faith? You say, you know what? I'm gonna start a business. I'm gonna go and do this. I'm gonna go do something that I, it seems crazy, but I'm gonna do it. And you step out in the moment. You step out. The corporation down the road, the employee above you, the people around you say. Who do you think you are? You don't have the experience. You don't have the knowledge. I've been doing this for 30 plus years. Who do you think you are? You don't stand a chance in this business. Does it sound familiar? Does it sound familiar to when your marriage, your family, your relationship with your kids is literally in shambles? And you try and bend it. You try and counsel it. You try and do every single thing you can. But the person that you're trying to mend it with looks at you and says, don't be ridiculous. This is over. This is done. There was no hope. There wasn't just like a little glimmer of hope. There was no hope in the situation for David. Everyone told him, you don't even have a chance. You already lost. You didn't even step onto the battlefield, but you've already lost. You don't stand a chance. Does it sound familiar? Does it sound familiar to when you've been doing commercials, doing looking at adoption, every single thing you can to get pregnant, and it's not sound familiar to when you've been handed the world's worst loss in the world and it doesn't feel like your world's going to spin around the same. Everyone's telling you, yep, that's how it goes. The world helps next no help. Does it sound familiar to when the very thing that you've been trying to get out of your life for so long back, back, and back, and back, the more you fight it, the more it feels like it comes at you. Does it sound familiar? Because for David, he had every reason in the world to not fight. The deck was stacked against him. The odds were against him. And everybody around him didn't have the force of a belief. 
thing is that the world doesn't, and the world standards are different than God. God's a little different. The world looks at all the things from God. God looks at all the things from far. So look at what David's response is. The very next verse after Saul says, don't be ridiculous, his response. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Yep, that's why you're not good enough, buddy. But when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. We pay money to go watch movies like this. Like, like, like the little kid who's out there just hanging out and watching his sheep, and a bear comes in, and he goes ramble on this thing. He jumps on his back, grabs it by the hunt, you know, and I'm not going to go into the rest of the details, but the thing dies, okay? Probably gross. I've never watched a movie The Revenant, but I have, like, strong themes of this, this thing going in here. Not a good movie, from what I've known. I've, it's been apparently gory. But this is basically what's happening. This is basically what's going down. And so in verse 37, David finishes with this. The Lord who rescued me from the lion and the bear will rescue me from the hand of the sea. The God who rescued me from the lion and the bear is the same God who's going to rescue me from the Philistines. To find purpose in your fight, you have to find significance in your past. A lot of times in our past, we see things that we're not proud of. We do things we don't like. We do things that we're like, you know what, this is going to be good. But I think there's significance in your past. The things you've walked through, the things you've persevered through, are the very things that will challenge you to fight your battle right here, right now. Significance in your past, if you let it go. David stepped up not because he had the reason, not because he had a lack of awareness, not because he had little man syndrome, not because he felt qualified to play this giant, but David stepped up to fight this giant because he had watched God do it once before, twice before, three times before, so why in the world would he not do it again? The reason he stepped up and did this is because he had seen God come through for him once, so he's going to see him come through it again. The faithfulness of God is what helped David step up and nothing more. Everyone around him was telling him, you're not good enough, you don't have what it takes. But it didn't matter because he knew that God was calling him and God was watching over him this whole thing. The reason David and Goliath has been so near and dear to me over the years is because a lot of times I've felt like David, both in stature, honestly, um, I've never been the, the tall, muscular one who's, you know, getting in fights. I'm the guy who's running for my life to get away. So I kind of have felt like that in that regard. But there's been many moments where I felt like God's called me to step up and do something that I'm, that I'm un, unsure about. And a lot of times, quite honestly, I've been like, but step back. And I'm, nope, not me. He can do it. I'll watch him go and try and fight this giant. But there have also been times in which I've said, I don't have a choice but to step out. I'm just going to hope and pray God comes through and he has. And one of the biggest giants, if you will, that I've faced in the last couple of years 
is when my predecessor, Chris, said, hey, would you consider leading the Bridge Church? No. Will not consider it. Because leading a church, to me, felt like a Goliath. It felt like a giant. It felt like something that was so big, so beyond me. Who in the world am I to even lead a church? I said, you know what? I'm 27. I've only been out of Bible college for five years. I have, uh, let's see here, zero experience leading a church. Yet here we have this church in a community that is established. It's a good church. We, we, we love the people here. Why me? I think I've told you guys this before, but I kept saying no over and over and over and over and over and over and over again because I felt like David. Contrary to what David experienced, everybody around him said, don't be ridiculous. You're only a boy. You can't do this. He had the external opposition. I had the internal. My subconscious saying, who do you think you are? You're not good enough. You can't do this. This is way beyond you. But God's resume is different than the world's resume. God's saying, hey, you don't have to be qualified. I got that prize. I need you to say yes. I need you to trust me with everything. And if you will, it's going to be awesome. You don't have to be qualified to step into God's calling. We'll take care of that. You just have to be willing to trust me with your life. In a lot of ways, that's tough. And so as, as we stepped into taking over the Bridge Church, something that kept going back over and over again is the time in which my family said, don't be ridiculous. Going to Bible college is a time. You don't need a, to, to be a pastor. Don't go to Bible college. I had vivid memories of people saying, you're leaving a career that's going to have so much prosperity. You're going to something that's so questionable. What are you doing? But I watched how God was there for me in that situation. I watched how God was with my wife and I as we stepped out and did something crazy. They leave college by the way, I'm really glad I didn't listen to them because if I didn't go to Bible college, I wouldn't have met this fine, beautiful lady. That would have been a really big bummer. Big bummer. So ha-ha to all you haters out there. Time and time and time and time and time again, God has come through for my wife and my family and I. To the, the, the point of where, even as we stepped into it, we went, why would he not come through again? We've seen God move over and over and over again, and the giants get bigger and bigger and bigger, and the things that we have to face are all the more intense, all the bigger, but we have all the more assurance in the world that we're not in this battle alone. We're not in this fight alone. We're not going through this in our strength and our power. God is the one who's orchestrating. God's the one who's moving. We just have to keep saying yes. We have to be the ones who can actually go into and fight this battle. So when we go into these battles, when we face these giants, yes, from the outside perspective, it looks ominous. It looks intense. It looks like you don't have a shot. And quite honestly, from a true one-to-one comparison, you might not. You might be completely at the end. But what we're not accounting for is what God can do with the impossible. What we're not accounting for is what God can do with just one simple obedient yes. That is the difference here. And so the thing I want to end with this morning, it's easy to look at that natural thing. It's easy to look at physical things. David was eight and a half feet tall. The Bible says his armor, his armor, 
His armor weighed 125 pounds. The dude's armor weighed just a little bit less than I do. Just his armor. So he's a big dude, okay? He's massive. From the moment he could pick up, my little son Ellis loves to play with cars. This kid's playing with knives. He was groomed to be a warrior from the time that he was a boy. This is what he was meant to do. David, on the other hand, had uh, zero training. He was very small. He probably was 125 pounds. The Bible's not super, super clear on that regard specifically. But we do know he was the youngest brother. And he was the shepherd, which means he was least valued, least strong, least favored. Put every negative connotation you can on David, and that was him. But he stepped up. And then he found the purpose to his fight. Ultimately, what he did is he stepped the battle. The last thing I want to leave you through at this point, the last point, Lexi, come on up. Faith is not the absolute. You can have faith and still be petrified. Because faith is an action here that's going. David, yes, he, as the story goes, he stepped up to this fight, and he actually will go to the battle here, which I'm going to share in just a second. But I have to imagine, even though he knew God was with him, even though he knew God had provided for him, I have to imagine, as he's stepping forth to face this giant, he was still scared. The whole nation was watching him. The whole army was watching him. The closer he got to the Goliath, the closer he went, holy buckets, are you tall, buddy? The closer he got to the battle, the closer he got to being even more at at odds favor. The more he got close to Goliath, the more he understood that I'm really outside of my league here. The more he got close to Goliath, the more he came that much closer to being dead. The closer you step into your battle, the more intense it might feel. The more oppressed you might feel. But how the story of David and Goliath go is that they try and put his armor. Saul said, you know what? If you're going to go out there, take my armor. It's big. It's bulky. It might give you a chance. And we started the message with this. He puts it on, and he says, takes one or two steps. This isn't comfortable. I'm taking them off. David said, what I know is shepherding. What I know, I've never put on an armor and a sword before in my life. But I've wrestled the bear to the ground. I'm going to go with what I know. So the Bible says he goes down to the stream. He gets five small or smooth rocks, grabs his slingshot, and heads to the battlefield. And a lot of times I think what we see is that we think that David's got like a little wrist rocket and these little pebbles, right? That's what we picture when we hear David and Goliath. But when you look in Judges chapter 20, sling, rock slinging was actually like a thing that was a legitimate tactic to do things. So I want us to see this morning, we studied this when we were in Israel, David was not flinging pebbles. He was slinging rocks about the size of a baseball. Changes the story a little bit, right? It's one thing to take down a giant when you got little pebbles. It's another thing when you have significant rocks in experience. 
It's one thing to go into your battle feeling like you're going to lose because you've got no, nothing to stand on. It's another thing to know God's going to use what you have to offer. He's going to use it to the best of his ability. My favorite part about this story is imagining David stepping up to this battle. And in verse 38, I'm going to keep going back to this. Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. But David fastened on a sword over his tunic, tried walking, went through all this. He goes, I can't go on these because I'm not used to them. God is going to work through what you have to offer, not what someone tells you to do. As you go through your battle, people are going to tell you, do this, do that, be that. Do all these things. But God's not calling you to do that. He's calling you to be you. And when you are you and you trust him with your life and you just take one step of faith at a time and are you truly your genuine self, he's going to take what you have to offer and sling it and use it to slay the giant in front of you. David walks up with one rock. He had five to go. But the Bible says he walks up into the battle. He grabs one rock, flings it, hits Goliath in the middle between the eyes and knocks him down and slays him. One shot is all he needed. Everything else was against him. Everyone told him it wasn't possible. Yet here we are with the whole nation on each side watching him, and boom, he goes down. The very thing that everybody else is using to disqualify David, that you're just a shepherd, you're just a boy, was the very thing God used to deliver the giant. It was his experience as a shepherd that allowed him to slay the giant. It was his experience as just one who sling a rock that basically helped him defeat the biggest thing up to this point in his life. We don't have to try and do whatever people, other people tell us is good. We have to be ourselves and trust God to go forth with us. Here's what I'm going to say. In your life, you've got some Goliath. Maybe right now. Maybe you're coming out of a season. Can I tell you, as a super, maybe not encouraging thing, you're going to have more in your life. You're going to encounter a Goliath. But if we let God move through us now, when we step up toe to toe with that giant in the future, we're going to walk through it differently. Because we've seen you move. You move the mountains. And I believe you'll do it again. The song we sing over and over here at the bridge, it's a song that I love. But God has moved, and I believe we'll do it again. So if I were to give you something super practical, not that I believe that we necessarily have a Goliath in front of us, but as we continue to step out as the bridge church, as we continue to try and meet new people and, and do new things and step out in faith, because God's not always calling us to be comfortable. He's not always calling us just to take it easy and have the country, country club life of faith. Sometimes he calls us to step out and do things that are a little bold, a little out there. As we step out and do that, it might feel like Goliath is coming at us, but here are the rocks that I want to put in front of us. This thing called prayer. Prayer. As we go into a fall, basically another kickoff of another year, God has been stirring things. I'm excited to share some of them even next week. But I want us to be standing on prayer and standing on what God's called us to do. So for the next 21 days, 
we're doing something called prayer and fasting. So every day we're going to, as a church, pray for something on your own. Obviously, we're not going to all come together as a church. But today when you walk out, there's going to be a handout of 21 specific things we're going to be praying for as a church every day. But here's my challenge to you. This is not just about our church. There are things you might be walking through right now, your own giant. I believe if we can just actually pray and seek God, I believe that all of a sudden now we have the rocks in our hands to play the giants that we want us to play. If we genuinely ask him to move on our behalf and do something, we're going to see the very things that have been tearing us down be broken, and we're going to be triumphant. So on your way out today, there's going to be a handout on the table right out here, right by the window. I encourage you to grab one of those. You'll notice it's got a fresh new logo on it of the Bridge Church. We're doing something fresh and new, so we want to have a fresh and new look. So if you're here today, you get a fresh look at the logo. We'll for you. But the fasting part of it, I'm not saying you don't eat. Because prayer and fasting, we think, okay, cool. I mean, for 21 days, I can't eat. No. Fasting is simply giving up something to spend that time praying. So what is it for you that you may, maybe it's, it's feet, maybe it's a meal, maybe it's, I'm going to give up my Xbox for 21 days and spend time praying. Whatever it is. And laugh. It's not our youth back in the computer. That wouldn't be a struggle. <laughs> Giving up something and spending time actually asking God to move on our behalf moves mountains. And so David, when he walked up and he slayed that, that giant, it wasn't because he had all the strength in the world, it's because God used what David was with God's power. And that's what I'm asking us to do as we pray. What can we do practically? What can we do in the natural? And what can God do supernaturally through that? And that's what I'm asking us to do. So you pray with me this morning. Father, I know that there are giants in this room. I know there are giants in the lives of those who are watching online. And I think for some of us, God, we're sick of the fight. We're sick of losing. Goliath has been beating us down. He's been pushing us around. The thing that we're trying so desperately to get rid of is coming back. God, I pray that today we would have the courage of David. We might still have the fear, we might still have the, the, the questions or the doubts, but God, I just pray that today as we step forth in faith, that you would be there for us. That we would operate in faith and not in fear. When life comes at us, when it keeps throwing us curveballs, God, when we, when we not feel discouraged or upset, but maybe we just feel empowered that, you know what, you're still going to be here with us. God, we thank you that you're able to do that. We're thankful for your son, Jesus, who makes it possible. Who makes it possible to have it be a real and close relationship. And we're thankful for your son, Jesus, Lord, who can make our past, the things that we've done, the sins that we've committed, that maybe are so intense, so strong, that we feel like the scum of the earth when we think of them. But God, your word says you remove them as far from us as the east from the west. God, you give us a fresh start, a clean slate those in the room who want that, may they know Jesus, 
all they have to do is just ask you into their heart, and say, God, would you forgive me? And heal me, forgive me for all the stuff I've done, you're there, Lord. But God, today, as we just kick off 21 days of prayer and fasting, as we give up something small, spend time praying for specific things, specific things that you want to do, may we see you move about. May we see you slay the giant. May we see you do the impossible thing. Jesus, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for you. In that we pray. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.